everybody. This is Dr. Jim Hoven and time for another episode of the Positive Impact Show with Jim Hoven. And I am really, really happy today to have a guest who's been a friend of ours for a couple of years now and who I think at this time that we find ourselves in has some incredible information on how we can connect with our dogs. So I want to welcome to the show my incredible guest, Miss Heidi Hill. Heidi, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jim. It really is an honor to be on your show. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Let's not go that far, but as we <laughs> started today, I would love for you to tell people how you first got started into um, really going into dog training, but past dog training into the dog behavior. So if you journey into that and how you it would be really, really good listening for the audience. Of course, yeah. So it started all the way back when I was 16, um, just still in high school and kind of thinking about my future, what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I came across one day um, a TV show with a pretty famous uh, dog trainer, dog behaviorist, and it just kind of really struck me. I didn't even know that that was a job, being able to impact owners and and work and coach with them train like changing their behavior to affect the behavior of their dogs at that time I was also really into self-improvement and bettering myself so just the combination of of that of improving ourselves improving the owners in order to connect with their dogs and have the best behavior in their dogs just really it really impacted me. And ever since that time, I just had a really strong passion to do that. That is amazing. Uh, so 16. So you're, you're, so I, let me picture this. So you're in high school, you're doing your thing. You come across this show, you start learning about it. What's the next step for a 16 year old to start moving <laughs> high school student to dog behavioralist? What was that journey like? Yeah. So I obviously still had, to finish school, I graduated a year early. And while I was doing that, I just completely developed, like put myself in every show I could find uh, on TV about uh, behavior and dogs and training, all the books I could get my hands on, um, internet searching on there, just the, that type of information that we're all accessible to. And then from there, we actually ended up getting my dog that I have now, who's been with me for a while as a puppy, and I just started to practice on him what I was learning and just really see the cool, the cool changes in him that were happening as I kind of paid attention to myself and the behaviors that I was doing and the environment I was giving my dog affected him. And then from there... I started to volunteer at the local dog shelter and again, just mm -hmm. practice and get hands-on learning, which is, I think, really the most important learning that we can get is that hands-on working with another dog and lots of different dogs for that matter, different temperaments and personalities. And then um, as I was doing that, I started to look into doing an apprenticeship with uh, another dog behaviorist. But unfortunately, um, I had 
some of them not respond to me and then some just flat out say they wouldn't. So I, I was actually homeschooled and kind of having that drive and personal motivation myself, I just decided, all right, if no one was going to teach me, I'll just teach myself. <laughs> wow. So you're like a, you're like an amazing musician, self-taught musician in the area of that is so cool. Heidi. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, um, it was really a good experience for me to, to learn and to grow on. And it builds confidence too, you know, when you don't have someone to tell you exactly how it goes, it does build a lot of confidence, but yeah, I think the best, the, the best, yeah. And the best learning, you know, it doesn't really require someone over your shoulder. You really just learn from the dogs and learn. Right. You can learn so much just from, from reading and, from watching other people necessarily have to, you know, go to a, a college for everything that we do. <laughs> I would agree. You know, I did a, I did a uh, lecture now because pandemic era, which is COVID era that we're in right now, I was asked to do a yeah. talk for a group of high school kids in Adams County, Colorado. And so the, of course it's called backpack to briefcases and it's a day where you know a thousand kids come from all over these different schools that are juniors and juniors come to this college and then they all get to listen to these courses through the day so they had asked me if i would do a little talk on what to do after high school and i you know it was so funny what you said that brought that to my mind of you don't have to go to college to learn anything and so it was really it was a treat for me to that recording something to, to the audience but it was, it was such a joy for me to be able to tell them, hey, there's certain things that you have to go to college for, but there are things that you're going to learn with all the resources, all the technology, right? You have the opportunity to learn at your pace, at your, you know, at your depth, whatever you want to do, that's there. And it sounds like you took advantage of a lot of technologies that we have to get to be the, the master that I know you to currently be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, book learning, video learning, applying hands-on. We're, we're really blessed to live, like you say, in the, the era that we do live in. And I think if anybody has a strong drive and passion to learn something, that that's going to carry them forward and allow them to, to become really excellent in that field that they're going after. Amen to that. So, I want to start into that. Speaking of expert, I got to this by saying that, you know, I, my wife and I have known you for a couple of years now, and it's absolutely fantastic to watch you do what you do. So as you know, but the people on the uh, podcast won't know, we have three huge dogs where the, the <laughs> bind rate of our three dogs and, uh, <laughs> and part of the training process for two of the dogs. We've had uh, the two puppies, not the mom and dad as much. One, one little, bitch, and I don't know that was about a session with the parents to watch you do what you do. It's simply amazing. It's, it's fantastic because of how you go about your business. Would you mind sharing with the folks listening what a couple of the biggest, base, the basics, the tenants, what you look for in a dog or in training a dog that people take away from uh from this time well the the thing that i always talk to people about before anything else is 
is how much they influence their dog. Um, their presence, their vibe, whatever you want to call it, their energy is going to make a huge impact on their dog. So if you're naturally a confident person, a calm person, that's perfect. That's going to that's gonna bring a dog that's responsive and calm back. And then along with that, along with the basics is um, also understanding that your dog, your individual dog, it doesn't matter his breed or anything else, him as an individual is going to have certain specific needs that are according to him. So, you know, your dog could be a high energy golden retriever who is very driven and needs a lot of exercise and stimulation and activity or somebody could have, you know, like a, a low energy pug that's, that doesn't require as much stimulation, but really understanding your dog and their, their energy level, their personality, are they a really strong personality? Are they more easygoing, laid back? Do they need a lot of mental stimulation? Do they get bored easily? Um, and, and really acknowledging that and, and being responsible with that and giving them what they need. Um, dogs, all dogs have certain basic needs, like every dog is going to need to get some type of physical and mental exercise. Every dog is going to need clear structure, clear rules, consistency, a routine in their life. Uh, those things really, if, if dog owners could master and, and do those things on a regular basis, it's going to solve most of the issues that they're having with their dogs. That is an incredible point. And I want to, I want to shoot backwards just to every dog has its personality. I know that, that there's a general thought process that this breed, for example, Great Danes are known to be great apartment dogs because all they want to do is lay around even though they're so big. Then you got of the retrievers or labs, that kind of thing. Can, can you give us any kind of differentiation or might navigate? We have a, and that breed acts one way or wait a minute, this isn't how this breed is supposed <laughs> to act. Just fill in the blanks on that a little bit. Yeah, and what you just said there, this breed isn't how it's supposed to act, is that's exactly my point. You can have a, a dog, a purebred dog that's supposed to act this certain way, but, you know, it's lower energy than it's supposed to be, or it's, you know, a lot more active. It, it, it doesn't, when people adopt dogs and or choose a puppy to to have, they really shouldn't look at the breed. They should really look at that individual dog because there's going to be so much variation within all the golden retrievers out there or all the Great Danes out there. Um, and just really seeing how that dog interacts among other dogs, or if you're going to be adopting a puppy, uh, to see how the, the litter mates all interact is going to be your biggest indicator of how that dog is going to be when it's older, not just going by a, a breed standard, which is going to have a lot of variance in it depending on each individual dog. There, of course, there's going to be breed standards, you know, for a certain type of a temperament, you know, like it's more adaptable in new places or it has a natural hunting instinct. Those things, you know, can be a little bit more set in stone, but things according like to their, their energy level, 
it's a big one that is going to be a, a lot of variance as well as um, their confidence level. Confidence level in dogs varies greatly from a dog that can be extremely overly confident, you know, can go anywhere and is naturally maybe more on the dominant side to a dog that's a little bit more shy, timid, needs some encouragement to build their confidence up. Those are things that are, are dog specific, not breed specific. Okay. Yeah, that, well, that makes sense. And it, let's now go to the, the dog the potential dog owner, the new dog, or they want dog owner, they want to get a puppy or adopted dogs, adult size. They, they want to do something. When you say the different temperaments, confidence, energies, should the person be looking to match ability to spend time with the dog, their family or their personality? How do you match that up to know? And how much time should you spend evaluating the dog or the puppy to, to see if it's right for you before you make that jump. Cause you want to give that dog a good home. You don't want extra frustrations and, and and the dog a lot more uh, hassle or worry. What's the process for doing that? Yeah. And along with that, you don't want the dog to have to go to the shelter either. Right. So. Right. <laughs> the, the, Exactly. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing you just said that the biggest thing is matching the dog to the owner. Um, if every if every potential dog owner analyzed themselves and their lifestyle, the time that they have that they're able to give to the dog, just their natural energy level themselves, are they, you know, the type of person that likes to go on lots of hikes and walks and works out and all of that, or are they kind of, you know, I go on a walk, a little slow walk once a day, you know, really analyzing who they are as a person and what they can give and then and then finding the right dog that can just slip naturally right into their lifestyle it doesn't cause added stress and the dog isn't naturally going to overpower them so many times uh, an owner a new dog owner gets a dog and the dog is so much higher energy than them that just by nature, the way that dogs operate, that dog is naturally now going to be overpowering them and is going to naturally want to take over in the relationship. It's going to have more dominant tendencies because their owner and, and them and in the dog's world is, is acting more passive. It's not it's strong enough presence for that dog. Mm. So that's where you really go ahead. I was going to say, so if you see that, that's such a great point, Heidi. If you see as the, you know, and, and I don't know if always the dog owners see it. I remember when we were taking classes with you, we had these puppies and they were far bigger than any of the other dogs that were in the classes <laughs> with us, kind of regardless of, of age. And we would see different dogs and owners act in different ways. And you would have a change our dog through parts of the class where then we would take different dogs and different people in the class would take guard dogs and would the dogs act differently in different stages. And so it makes me wonder someone who finds themselves. So now we'll go to the person who is a dog owner and they're like, Holy crap, maybe I'm mismatched with my dog. I don't <laughs> want to take my dog to the shelter has more energy or, or more structure. What would be some ways that people could start that process um, on their own. And obviously, you know, they could, they could get a trainer and do all that kind of thing, but just to start the process to give them hope, this perfect fit. 
Yeah, I love teaching people just how to do things on their own. And there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, the first thing that would be very important to do is to assess. <laughs> I'm saying this so much, assess how much energy the dog has and how much activity it needs to burn each day in order to be tired out. A tired dog truly is a happy dog, and it's going to be a dog that is more responsive and able to, to listen because it's not fighting all this pent-up energy and frustration. So that's the first step is that everybody can do if they have a dog that's, you know, going crazy and is not listening to them. They can assess, well, how, how much exercise does it take before my dog gets tired out? And if you're not able to give them enough of that activity, there's so many tools that you can use to help you with that. Things like a, a weighted backpack can make a walk twice as intense. You can do things like having your dog uh, run or jog with you. Of course, make sure that they're not really bad at pulling or that could get dangerous. <laughs> that could get ugly, yeah. <laughs> Same thing with a bike, you know, having your dog run along with a bicycle. Um, you could eventually teach your dog to pull a bike, you know, for the pulling breeds. Um, there's also... Things like treadmills. Uh, we live in Colorado and we have, you know, some pretty intense blizzards and storms. And during those times, a, a treadmill can be a lifesaver in order uh, able to give you an outlet for your dog during those times. Um, and you can even incorporate, like if your dog is just way more energy than you, you can incorporate using a treadmill maybe as one of their activities during the day. Uh, to get them tired out that way. And then something else that people just think exercise is, you know, taking a dog on a walk or throwing the ball for the dog. But exercise is not just physical for dogs. It's also mental. Just like us as people, if we need to work our minds and engage ourselves, otherwise we can get really frustrated. The same thing is, is true for dogs. They need challenge in their lives. And especially um, dogs that can do a lot more damage, like your type of dogs, the <laughs> big, huge Boz Shepherds or Rottweilers or Pit Bulls, dogs like that, that when they get frustrated can do more damage, it's especially important that we give them enough outlets and you, the dog owners prevent any bad behaviors from surfacing. So the mental exercise is really important to challenge dogs. So things like how you walk your dog instead of just letting your dog go out in front and pull and sniff and pee on every bush they want, actually giving your dog some structure during that walk and having them pay attention to you for part of it, be at your side for part of it, that is actually tiring their brain out, is providing mental exercise for them, which is, you know, in my book, that's 50% of the type of exercise they need, not just going for a walk around the block, but really tiring them, them out mentally. Other things you can do is, is utilizing the dog's nose. And this is where you can get into breed specific activities, which are really, really fun and cool to see your dog doing what they were built to do. So a really, a really fun activity that really tires your dog's brain out is what I like to call the search game. So it's like a tracking game, and I start out by teaching the dog just to find, you know, treats, real strong scented treats, 
and you can do this in your home and that's the best place to start is teaching your dog to find these treats not with their eyes but with their nose and anytime you get a dog's nose engaged in an activity that really really uh, tires them out mentally and that can be an activity that everybody could do in their home and then when the dog gets really good at it indoors then you can start doing it outdoors and then from there you can start doing it in new parks and new places which then adds another element of challenge to your dog I but love that, that is another that's another really key thing is is not just exercising your dog's body physically but also exercising them mentally that's huge you know that sounds huge and we have done that interestingly enough because again we've We've done a lot of training with you over the years, Heidi, and and one of our dogs is so good at the search game where my wife will put these treats into this rock wall that we have. And so the rock wall isn't flat. It's literally stone stacked on top of each other, creates little crevices and caves. And at the end of every walk that we do, this dog is just all over that search game. And it's uh, it's fun to watch. It's It's really great to see. So I hope that people listening can start using that to help tire their dog's minds out with their bodies and so kind of a, a, a related question, if a dog is tired physically and mentally and, and we know that we've gotten them the proper amount of activity, activity, does that show itself through their behavior or through the amount they sleep? Like, for example, our dogs, they just sleep all the time. They love to sleep and then they get <laughs> up and do their thing and move around. So is there a way that someone can know if their dog is just a sleeper or is that in, indicative that they've had enough exercise? Well, dogs, when they're bored, can also sleep. Mm. Um, so it's not, of course, when a dog works themselves out and they've tired themselves, their body naturally is going to tell them, I need to rest. But even a bored dog can just lie around and sleep. So I wouldn't use that as an indicator to, to tell you, you know, if you're giving your dog enough exercise or if they're getting their needs met. I would use things like how how excited are they getting around, you know, new people or how excited are they getting with things that they really enjoy, like playing ball? Are they getting super uh, agitated and super stimulated? Or do you notice after you've worked them for a while, then you go back to that activity or they're around new people that they're just at a lower level of stimulation. That's going to be more of a sign to you that, that you're giving your dog more or you're giving your dog enough of what they need. Because if they're still if they're still acting really hyperactive in those situations, then you know, that could tell you that that they're still kind of lacking in the physical and the mental exercise. And another thing could also be is their the leadership skills from their owner isn't there. That's another thing that could possibly be an indication. But um, you should kind of just see their their um, their presence, their demeanor kind of be a little bit more softened. And, and anytime you see hyperactive behavior, that is really going to be a sign that they need more. I love that distinction. And hopefully everybody listening just took that uh, to heart and, or listen to that again, guys, understanding that it's how the dog behaves in certain aspects after compared to before, are they getting enough stimulation exercise? And with that, I want to transition. You, you said something, Heidi, that I thought was great, where the leadership aspect from we as the dog owners, 
uh, you, you've shared a statement with me and with us as we've gone through training and as you and I have talked that dogs can, and I might have this off a little bit, but I'm going to let you clarify the statement and then talk more about it because I think it's brilliant. It's genius. Dogs can bring out the best in us if we let them. And that go, speaks to the leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, takes me all the way back from, you know, when I was 16, I, I really love self-improvement and a lot of people don't realize that our dogs can help us to, to become such better people. And in order to get that connection and have that dog that is so well-behaved and responsive to you, it's really earned. It's not something that dogs will just naturally give to you. And that's another really amazing thing about dogs is they're so honest and they have such integrity because their intentions are always 100% clear and true and they don't ever lie. We as people can do that. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> we as people, you know, we can act a certain way and think we're being a certain way, but your dog's going to tell you right away what you're being and how you're acting and how you're feeling. So that is really a gift from dogs that I I really try to teach people to take advantage of when I work with them as well, not just try and get your dog to behave well, but that connection that you can have where, you know, it might sound a little crazy or this only happens on TV, but you can get to the point where you're like on the same wavelength and you can read each other's minds and you just have such a strong connection. But again, that is earned. That isn't just given. Mm, and, and that's that what we're talking that, about through the reps, right? Doing yeah. these, these skills and this training. What other ways do you, do you think besides what you've already shared on how we can earn that connection with our dogs? So the way that's done is by respecting your dog for what he is, a, a dog, and not treating him like a human. Um, think of any relationship we have like with us as people if we're not respecting the other person for who they are and treating them like, you know, less or someone else, then that relationship is not going to be strong, but really treating your dog and, and giving your dog their needs and being respectful to them in that way, they give it back to you, you know, a hundredfold. So th those things that we were talking about earlier about the basics, about giving your dog enough exercise and clear rules and direction that that is how you gain your dog's trust and respect. And that's how you gain the leadership with them. Because to them, if they're going to follow and listen to someone and put, you know, their life, so to speak, that's how they look at, at it in somebody else's hands, whether it's another dog, or in our case, it's the, the owner, they have to make sure that that owner is going to provide for their physical and mental and psychological needs. And the way you do that is by respecting them as a dog, respecting them, as we talked about, for their individual personality and meeting those needs and then meeting their needs as, as dogs, you know, giving them time to migrate with you, work for their food and their water, earn rewards, not just get pet all day long and given treats for not doing anything to earn it. They need to know that you're going to stand up and, and be strong and, that they can count on you in all the different situations. You know, how, 
How do you lead them around other dogs? How do you lead them around new guests? Are you projecting a strength, a calmness, a presence that they can rely on? That's, that's really how you're going to get true leadership with your dog. I mean, there's, there's people out there that use treats to get their dogs to do everything. And, you know, that isn't leadership. Your dog is, is going to want to follow you and is going to want to listen to you. And that's the type of connection I'm, I'm trying to teach people to have is, is their dog wants to follow them because they're obeying the laws that, that dogs have between themselves. Wow, that's so powerful. And if you can, Heidi, give us a couple of minutes of distinction between training styles or techniques. So you'd mentioned one earlier about treat training. And so you have some people that have pinch collars. Some people say, you know, you got to do choke collars. Some people say you should never do that. Other people say treat train. Other people say raise your voice, be calm. From a dog perspective, and specifically you as a dog behavioralist, is there a better way to make that connection where it's you're speaking the dog's language um, that people could start investigating? Yeah, I would say I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of that. Um, my, my business name is, is back to balance dog services, you know, balance is really the key. I think it, being in the middle of those things and not just being someone who you know, never punish your dog or even on the opposite end of the spectrum where you're using a choke uh, collar and, you know, being a little bit uh, overly strict with your dog. I like to be in the middle. I think all those types of tools have their place. And again, specific to the situation and the dog, um, I think that, that, that somebody, everybody should do is, is getting in tune with their dogs and making sure that each tool they use, they have sensitivity with their dogs. So they have a responsiveness with their dogs. So for example, a lot of people want help walking with their dogs. They want dogs that don't pull. So there's a range of tools I will use um, and teach owners how to use with their dogs depending on the individual dog. So for example, let's say like your dogs, for example, big, you know, over 100 pounds, Boz Shepherds. Um, for dogs that have that much strength and power and that are probably bigger than me <laughs> and maybe their owners, <laughs> they, you're, they you're going <laughs> to want to have a tool that can help you and to meet that, that strength difference between you, obviously. So for a dog like that who can be a, a, maybe – more reactive, like a real big dog that can be reactive sometimes, I'm not against using a prong collar. And prong collars get a misconception that they, they cause pain, they hurt the dog, but it, it, that's not what it's about. It's actually a pressure tool. And every tool that I use for getting a dog to walk nicely, not pull, is all about pressure. So a prong collar to a gentle leader, to a slip lead, to a flat collar, if the dog can be that responsive, they're all about pressure and teaching the dog to be sensitive to pressure. Mm, that's a, such a great distinction. And like you say, the, the tool is, there's not one tool for the job. There's the right tool for the right dog. That's what I'm hearing you say. 
Yeah, exactly. So again, going back to the walking example, there let's let's say we have like a corgi. Corgis are really low to the ground. They have a long body. Those type of dogs, you know, a lot of them, for example, respond very well to um, a, a gentle leader. Where when you put a little bit of pressure on the on the leash, it puts pressure on their their shoulder. It brings their shoulder back a little bit. So that that type of a, a, a walk setup, a leash setup, is very helpful for those type of dogs that are lower to the ground. Um, some dogs respond really well to, to just a, a slip lead. But the important part with any one of those tools is that you're not, you're not it's not about using a lot of physical strength or, or effort or really pulling on your dogs. It's about teaching them to be responsive to pressure. So you want just a little bit of pressure to be able to slow your dog's brain down and help them to calm down and relax to be able to respond to you and your, your guidance that you're trying to give them. That and is again, so amazing. So amazing. Yeah. And, it, and any tool out there, you know, as long as it's not hurting the dog is, is a green light in, in my book, as long as it can strengthen the connection between the human and the dog and encourages sensitivity as well, then that's, that's where it's really at. You know, Heidi, I think what you just talked about is strengthening that communication, that connection between human and dog and the sensitivity. It brings me to something that I think is really important right now. And that is the personality of dog and the personality of dog owners coming together during what is a stressful time. Specifically right now, we're in this COVID era and more people are working from home and some people are working from home. They're at home less because they had to go take, you know, grocery store jobs to stock at night because they lost their regular job. But regardless, there's a lot of tension right now in our, in our world. And so dogs feel that, right? They feel that tension. How can we as good dog owners remain solid even during times like this, and what can these these loves of our life, these dogs, bring to us in times like this? Yeah, that's that's a really applicable thing to talk about right now. Dogs really can teach us the importance and the the powerfulness in a routine. So I know a lot of people's routines, like you mentioned, might be a little bit different now, whether they're staying at home a lot more or, yeah, they have to take on a new job. But a thing that can help us stay grounded as well as them is, is having something constant in our life. So, you know, that, that daily morning and evening walk with your dog is something that can bring a lot of peace and comfort to both you and your dog, it can help you to have something that isn't changing or uncertain in your life where everything else around you can be. So I, I think just that, that power of a, a daily routine that you're doing with your dog, um, that they're, they're there by your side with you can actually help bring a lot of peace and comfort. I know in, in my life as, as well, it's, it's just so nice to get out in the air and to have a chance to have a break from, you know, technology, news, everything, and just connect with nature and your dog and have a chance to, to think and, 
and doing those basic things that you already should be doing with your dog to have that good relationship are going to be even more powerful right now. I love that. I love that. And is there something, because I know that you've worked so much on the personal development side, as well as the, the behavioralist side for our, our, our pets, is there something that we should watch out for from the human side to make sure that we give our dogs that leadership, even during times of stress that we're feeling? For example, again, a lot of people are under a money crunch because they've either been laid off and they still own a dog or they're working or they don't know what the future holds and they just are, are fearful. What can we do to protect ourselves? And I certainly have thoughts on this that, that I'll share as well, but uh, what can we do to be that great leader for our dog? Well, just realizing the type of, of presence that you're putting out to your dog, like we were talking about earlier, how dogs aren't going to lie to you. They know how you're feeling and being honest with yourself. I, I don't expect even myself, anybody to be perfect and to always be calm and confident and they're never flustered and nothing bothers them, but just having that awareness. So let's say, you know, you wake up tomorrow morning and you listen to the news and it just puts you in a, a bad mood and you just feel really uncertain, you have anxiety, you know, and then you see your dog is, is maybe starting to whine, starting to pace, can't settle down. I know that's, that's a, a feedback that your dog is getting from you and is responding from how you're feeling. So I, I think that it's important that we're honest with ourselves and we go, you know, oh, wow, yeah, I am anxious right now. My, my dog's telling me too. So, you know, maybe I have to get this work done and then I'm going to go and, and go on that, that walk and, and kind of give myself a time to think and, and relax and do some deep breathing and, and be aware of that because, you know, depending on your dog's personality, they can, you know, that example I gave you earlier, they can pace and whine and reflect that anxiety you're feeling in that way. Or if you have a dog that's on the more confident, you know, dominant, naturally dominant end of the spectrum, then that dog can, can kind of do behaviors where, they're taking over a little bit, you know, maybe they don't listen to you as well because they can sense that weakness in you. And that's something about, uh, about dogs that they're not going to really rationalize what's going on with you. They don't know that you've lost your job. They don't know that, you know, the, the world is a little bit in chaos. All they know is what they're feeling from you. So be honest with yourselves and I, and don't expect yourself to be perfect. But when you do realize that you're in a bad state, you know, maybe meditate, do some things where you can get yourself back into a good frame of mind, do a workout, whatever it is that, that helps you to get back into a good state. Um, and just be honest with yourself that way and, and use your dog as like a barometer to how you're truly feeling. That's another gift that they give you is, is you can learn so much about yourself and, and what you can improve on. And, and that's another thing is during this time when we have maybe a little bit more time on our hands, it is a good time to improve yourself and improve your weaknesses in your personality that maybe your dog is, is teaching you about a little bit more right now. Learn how you can become a, a stronger presence or learn how you can redirect that anxiety that you feel into healthier outlets so that it's not affecting you and your dog so much. 
so many great lessons that we can learn in this and make it positive. That is brilliant. And I will tell you, I was going to throw in some information there, but you basically hit everything <laughs> that I was going to say. So my thought would be if, if you're feeling tension and now after hearing this, that you understand that your dog's going to feel that too, it would be scheduling out time for self-awareness, checking in and saying, how am I feeling? If you feel tension in your body, if you feel mental stress, then it's important to get a toolkit that you can use in order to deal with that. So for me, it's definitely movement because our physiology determines our emotions, right? Our motion and emotions mm -hmm. are tied together. So I would say make sure that people are being regularly active. And you don't have to go crazy, but you need to be active, eating clean, making sure that you're not putting a lot of inflammation in your diet and in your mind, by yep. the way, sugars and processed foods, those put a lot of stress through inflammation on the brain. And there's tons of research on this, but your body and your mind and then your emotions and that self-awareness through meditation or prayer, whatever your, whatever your connections are using that every day. And I, I think that'll help. So that, that's my little input on your brilliance. And, and I want to hit one more topic as we, as we kind of bring this in for landing Heidi. And it's this, I was amazed, amazed by um, you in our training sessions because I was a big fan of dog parks. We, we got this dog. We hadn't, you know, we got these boss shepherds. We hadn't had dogs for a long time. And so dog parks had come up since the time of our previous dog to now. And so we take him to this big dog park and man, it was amazing watching our first play and do all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, that experience of taking her to the dog park many, many, many times turned into a bad one in that she got into a couple of fights there. And after that, it changed her personality to be like, okay, if you're going to come at me, I'm going to be the dominant dog. And of course, there's been a lot of work and, and effort put into that process. In the meantime, when we got our puppies that we were then training with you on, we were training in dog parks and you were very, very conscious of what's going on at the dog park. And you could call out the dog from across the, the yard saying that dog is going to be a problem just by watching it. So could you just speak on this about dog parks, the positive, the negative, and if people are going to take their dogs to the dog park, the things they need to watch for? Yeah, that's a really good point to bring up because you're, it's sad, but one, one bad event that happens there can really impact your dog's behavior from there on out. So the first thing I would say is, is how people look at the dog park. So many people, I'll just say it, they, they kind of get lazy and they think, okay, I, I'm tired. I don't want to, I've been working all day. I don't really feel like going on a long walk with my dog. I'll just take them to the dog park. And that right there is going to be setting them up for a potentially bad situation. You really shouldn't treat the dog park as a way to exercise your dog. You should treat it as the reward. So anytime you bring your dog to the dog park, they need to be really tired out. Like we were talking about earlier, they need to be at a whole different level of energy so that when they go into the dog park, they're not being hyperactive. Hyperactive dogs are um, a red flag. They attract other dogs to them. And if there's another dog in that same state of mind, you know, you could have a fight right there. Um, so it's really important that you make, you make sure to tire your dog out physically and mentally before bringing them to the park. 
And then the other thing you want to do is, is make sure that you observe every single time you go to the park, observe what kind of dogs are there. Because it's unfortunate, but a lot of people bring dogs into the dog park that really shouldn't be in there. They're either not social enough or they're, they have no control. The owner has no control over their dog and their behavior. So it's kind of just a free for all or the dog, like that other example I gave is, is very hyperactive and it's just asking for something to happen. Um, a dog that's overly dominant and the owner is just kind of being passive about it and not correcting their dog and letting them know that that's not an appropriate behavior. So there's so many things that you want to look for and you want to make sure that when you bring your dog into a dog park and every time you go to check and make sure that the dogs that are there are truly social and are in a good, healthy state of mind that's going to influence your dog positively. Because it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how well behaved your dog is. If there's another dog in there where their owner has no control or they're exhibiting dominant tendencies or territorial tendencies and you bring your dog in there, you're asking for trouble. So every single time, analyze. And if everything looks good, if the dogs are responsive to their owners, they're not hyperactive, they're not barking at the gate while you come in, um, they seem to be pretty happy-go-lucky, um, you see good signs that way, then the next steps are how you bring your dog in. So a thing I like to do is, is park a ways away from the dog park so that you can walk to the dog park. Get your dog in a good frame of mind, calm in the zone with you, connected with you. And then when you're going to bring your dog in, analyze again right there before you open the gate and bring them in. How are they behaving? How are, they, how are their emotions? How are they feeling? If they start to get really excited about it, again, just wait until they calm down. Wait till they settle down because how you bring them in is going to set the tone for how they behave in the dog park. So if they start to get hyperactive and you bring them in that way, then you're setting the, the tone for a hyperactive time there, which, again, is not what you want. You want to bring your dog in when they're in a patient state of mind. They're waiting for your direction. They're waiting for you to invite them in. And they're patient about it. They're not whining. They're not barking. They're not shaking. They're patient. So when you have that state of mind from your dog, make sure you go in first because you're telling them that you're going to keep them safe in this place. You're going to lead them in this place. And then um, go ahead and let them off leash and, and do their thing. And then from there, really supervise your dog and not just your dog, but the other dogs. Because a lot of times owners will let their dogs do things that are disrespectful in the dog world to your own dog. And honestly, don't be afraid to step in and create some space between another dog and your dog if you need to, because sometimes owners aren't going to take that personal responsibility and, and correct their own dogs or give space to their own dogs when they need to. And you might need to step up and do that. And that's part of your being your dog's protector and leader is keeping an eye out for them and making sure if another dog is starting to bully them, you're not afraid to step in and have that dog back off. Because if you don't do that, then your dog feels the need that they have to do that. And then that's where there can be another little scuffle that could possibly happen. So you need to take responsibility for your dog and the, 
and make sure that the dogs that are interacting with your dog are being respectful to your own dog. And if you need to step in, don't be afraid to do that. Um, the other awesome. thing I would say, yeah, and the other thing I would say is, is make sure before you bring your dog to that kind of environment and you let them off leash like that, that you really work with them beforehand and, and you have some good responsiveness from them and them coming back to you and listening to you before that you put them in that type of a situation. Because if you need to recall them out of a, a potentially bad situation, like a, a group of dogs are going to get in a scuffle and you need to call them back to you really quick, you want to have that responsiveness in your dog. So working with them on a lawn line is a really good thing you could do like the first couple times when you're at that point, having a lawn line kind of just dragging by your dog can be helpful because um, you can use that to follow through. And then working with them outside of the dog park, doing obedience exercises and walking them helps prepare them to, to not be in such a hyperactive state like, wow, this is a brand new exciting thing and it's harder for them to focus when they've been in that environment more it'll be easier, easier for them to focus and respond. Those are some incredible, incredible tips of the dog park. And it really has reignited me. Our conversation has inspired me to, to do more and connect more with my dogs. And I'm sure it has everybody else that's listened to this, Heidi. So um, as we finish this up, can you give people, if they have questions for you, how would they reach out um, to, to basically just ask you those questions and, and, yeah, I'd love to, to hear from anybody who has questions or wants some general advice. They can hit me up on my Facebook page, just facebook.com forward slash back to balance dog services. They can reach me on there. Awesome. Well, I bet you're going to be getting some definite questions. And, you know, again, I can't thank you enough for the work that you've done with our dogs, um, helping Shauna and I become better doggy parents. And we have certainly tried to, to live up to your motto of we become better because of our dogs and we're trying to let them do that. So thank you for taking the time, Heidi. Thank you for what you do for the dog world and the human world. And uh, I look forward to hearing many, many, many more great stories of success through, uh, through your dog training career. Thank you so much, Jim. It really is a blessing and you guys are awesome. And it's been a real pleasure to work with you guys and looking forward to the future as well. Absolutely. Well, you have a wonderful day. Be safe, be well, and we'll talk very, very soon. Take care. Thanks, Heidi. Bye. Bye.